Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. So today, instead of looking into another mundane classical composer, we're going to offer you something a little different, and that is a look into the science of sound. The modern artist Jean-Michel Basquiat is quoted to have said, Art is how we decorate space. Music is how we decorate time. And that is truly an astute observation, for with visual art, our brains can theoretically process the entire piece in a nanosecond. But to fully consume a piece of music, you actually have to let that time go by and have the sound waves into your ears and then be processed by your brain. It's certainly not as simple as glancing at a score for a symphony and just knowing what it sounds like. Now, that being said, there can be visual and tactile evidence of sound and therefore music as well. When a string on a guitar is plucked, you can see the rapid vibrations back and forth. This is like a visual proof that a sound wave is being made. As the string moves, it displaces the air around it, which then gets sent away into your ears. And when your neighbors are playing music too loud and you can feel the bass beat in your chest, it's those sound waves as well that you're hearing. And sometimes the sound waves creating vibrations in the floor and the walls all around you. <laughs> Vibrating your cups off of your shelves. Yes. and <laughs> Listeners, I hope your neighbors are not awful. <laughs> A fun experiment that I was able to do in my middle school science class took sound waves in somewhat of a different direction. So for all of you listeners at home who want to spend a fun afternoon, we'll give you the setup for this experiment. First, find some kind of sturdy bowl. Really, the ideal type is kind of a small to medium mixing bowl, but a cereal bowl or even a little Tupperware will work in a pinch. Next, seek out a rubber balloon. You'll somehow want to finagle this balloon over the top of the bowl, and to do that, you'll probably have to cut off the little end and maybe use some rubber bands to get it really secure. Now, could someone use a tautly wrapped piece of plastic wrap instead of a balloon? Mm, that is untested waters. Perhaps oh. someone could further my research by trying <laughs> that, though. <laughs> um, finally, once you have your taut surface, pour a little bit of salt on top of that balloon. The exact amount isn't too important, but just kind of a nice even layer that just about covers the whole top of this makeshift drum should do nicely. You probably just don't want it overflowing off the sides and definitely not too thick. And finally, you'll want to find some way to project some noise at this contraption. If you have a musical instrument, that will work really well because you'll be able to get a really loud volume. And ideally for this, you'll want kind of a single sustained note. Um, but if you don't have an instrument at the ready, you may be able to just yell at the bowl and get the <laughs> same effect. <laughs> so what effect, you may ask, is this? Well, the way the salt reacts on the vibrating top of the drum forms something called a Clodney figure. Clodney figures were found in acoustic experiments by Ernst Clodney, published in his Discoveries in the Theories of Sound in 1787, 
and in his book De Acoustic in 1802. Ernst Kladny was a German scientist who started his adult life with a study in law, entirely against his will. Any parallels with some composers we know? <laughs> um, we can probably name them <laughs> a whole bunch. <laughs> Ernst actually had a love of music and science, but his strict father insisted he study law instead. He did earn his law degree in 1782, but before he began practicing, Ernst's father died and he immediately made the switch to the sciences. And particularly, Claudney followed in the footsteps of an earlier physicist, Robert Hooke, who had started to find a way to visualize sound. Uh, Hooke had done his research in the 1600s. Both scientists utilized metal sheets that were mounted on thin wooden stakes. These metal plates were then covered with a light sand, and a violin bow was drawn up and down along the edge of the plate. Once the bowing produced a sound, basically the acoustical resonance of the plate, the sand on the top would begin to bounce and migrate into brilliant symmetrical patterns, sometimes as simple as a square or a circle, other times looking like a complex fractal. The scientific principle at work here and on the balloon experiment we described above is that the sound wave trapped on the plates will form a standing wave pattern. Standing waves themselves are actually a pattern of interference that occurs when waves bounce about and intersect and the pattern of displacement that is then created with nodes and antinodes. Get ready for some physics, friends. <laughs> so to describe all of this, first, think of a wave as a squiggly line that is centered over top of a horizontal point, which we'll describe as zero. For easy reference, those of you who have experienced math classes before, think of a sine wave. Each peak and valley in this wave will have a certain equal distance above or below this zero point. These highs and low points are considered the antinodes. Conversely, the node of the wave is the point where the line crosses the zero axis, essentially where there is no displacement. So, when we get interferences of different waves bouncing around, the various heights, or amplitude, of the nodes and antinodes and everywhere else in between collide and get added together to create a new wave pattern, which is the standing wave. And then on the plates, this corresponds to the sand actually settling into the notes, which are again the zero points where there's no movement, and so the sand basically gets thrown there by the ups and downs of the rest of the wave. And according to Claudney's research, each plate should have an infinite number of patterns achievable, all based on the frequency of vibration. As the frequency goes up, the nodes are closer together, and there can be more complexity to the pattern. Now, of course, things like bow placement and any other interferences, such as fingers placed on the plates, can also change the location of the nodes. And each different size of the plates will have a different resonance as well to produce even more possibilities. So what's so important about acoustic research? Well, it has been used in the making of instruments, of course. Instrument makers strive for the most resonant sounds on all possible notes of the instrument. So to make sure that your instrument provides as few dull, dead zones as possible, the instrument maker will assess each shape for overall better sounds. It can also be important in engineering and technical equipment. 
if you have a certain piece of equipment that produces certain vibrations and frequencies, it may be beneficial for the rest of your delicate instrumentation, for example, things to measure background information, to sit in a node rather than be flung about in an anti-node. So a place, a physical space in the room where there is less vibration. It's also interesting there's some newer research that's using vibrations to actually move physical objects in space. You can nestle a lightweight object in the space of like two intersecting nodes, mm -hmm. and then by adjusting the frequencies, you can physically move it about and, and levitate these objects, which is very cool. You can actually use <laughs> the energy in those vibrations to do some really cool things. And I would say less cool, but just as useful. There's, of course, ultrasonic cleaning equipment that's often used to sterilize instruments for a lot of times dentistry, where basically instruments are placed in a solution that has very high pitched or high frequency and amplitude waves shot through it, and it literally knocks off the bacteria. <laughs> But for the everyday listener, this is all more just a fun experiment than truly life-changing work. But speaking of life-changing work, we mm -hmm. wanted to give you a quick update on the New York Philharmonic. Recall back in episode 161 about the New York Phil, we mentioned they had been in a months-long search for their next musical director. Well, we are pleased to announce that they have found their next great leader. Da -da -da -da. The orchestra has selected Gustavo Dudamel, a name you might know, to take over the podium. However, it won't be happening just yet. <laughs> Dudamel is still signed with the LA Phil, his current post, until the end of the 2025 season. And Jaap van Zweden, the current New York Phil conductor, will remain at New York until the end of 2025 as well. Dudamel will start some of his directing in 2025 as an appointee conductor, but then become the official music director in the 2026 season. So congratulations to Maestro Dudamel. Yes, indeed. And congratulations to you too, listener, for reaching the end of this episode and hopefully having learned and appreciated something new about the science of the lovely sounds that we love to listen to. <laughs> and if you do go forward with our little balloon experiment or however else you find to make your Claudney figure, do send us a picture and yes. maybe we'll feature you on our social media. Yes, um, you can send that picture to us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, or directly to coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com if you'd like. And if you'd also like, do share us with friends, family members, and like-minded podcast enthusiasts. Um, and do all the wonderful things that help this, this podcast and community grow, such as leaving us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's yeah. usually where I say and share us with friends, family members, like-minded co colleagues, but do that twice. Just do it in a circle, ever-growing circle yes. of friends and families exactly. so that we can grow. Exactly, so that we can grow. Mm -hmm. And maybe one day afford some formal training for me to get these outros right every time. <laughs> Regardless, right. for the well. Coffee House <laughs> Classical Music and Physics Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. 
Handel's Overture to Agrippina was performed by a Far Cry Ensemble. You can find The Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 